0: I am the greatest.
1: Who is the greatest man who ever lived? A question like that could spur a long debate among scientists, humanists, business and political leaders, even religious leaders. Of course, you would expect a pastor like me to say, Jesus. Arguably, Jesus of Nazareth is the greatest man who ever lived. I say this emphatically, even though Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man born among women for the way he served. Jesus is the greatest not only because of the way he served humanity, but also because he is the perfect God-man, something even the greatest humanist must concede. Jesus was not God alone or man alone. He was fully human and fully divine in a unified existence. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
0: When the days grew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. That's Luke 9:51, and this is Something Good Radio. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by for today's message with Dr. Ron Jones. Jesus spent his entire three-year ministry serving the needs of others, healing them, helping them, teaching them. But he never lost sight of his primary purpose, to go to Jerusalem and give his life for the sins of mankind. The Gospel of Luke highlights Christ's fierce determination to complete His ultimate task. And Ron takes us there next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, in the new Something Good digital library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his message, Luke, Behold the Man.
1: Messiah was sent, yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Also to the Gentile world. And this offends the ears of his family and friends. And they ran Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff, Luke tells us. And before they throw him down the cliff, well, I love this scene. The miracle man walks through their midst untouched. Again, Luke does not He's saying, behold the man. But he tosses in scenes like this to remind us he is the God man. He is the God man. And then Luke puts the Son of Man's compassionate humanity on display, recording 16 miracles performed by Jesus, who is never too busy to care for people's real human needs. Uh, Luke emphasizes Jesus' ability to touch humanity even through his parables. Now if you take all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can compile 38 parables that Jesus told. And the gospel writers tell us probably many more, but what we have in the gospels are 38 parables. Luke records 20 of them. And only, all but two, rather, of the 20 parables that Luke records begin with uh, words like, there was a certain man. Uh, Jesus is humanizing his stories, and Luke draws from those. Matthew, on the other hand, emphasizes the kingdom of heaven, Uh, with parables as well that begin, the kingdom of heaven is like. So even in the selection of parables that Luke uh, records for us, he's he's presenting a Jesus who's very much in touch with his own humanity and those around him. Another way Luke highlights Jesus' human sympathies is by featuring the prominent place women held in his ministry. Don't ever say that Christianity puts women down. No, just the opposite. Even at a time when women didn't have Um, much in terms of rights you have uh, the gospel writers because this is the way it happened putting women in a prominent position in Jesus's ministry. Luke mentions Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, Anna the prophetess, Martha and Mary are in the, uh, the gospel. Nameless women with infirmities that Jesus healed are uh, mentioned multiple times. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In addition to that in chapter eight, beginning in verse one, Luke writes this. Soon after Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, now listen to this, who provided for them out of their means." Uh, this group of women that had a prominent place in Jesus' ministry reached into their pockets and provided financially for the ministry. And Luke says, way to go. He, he gives them you know, editorial space in, in the book here. And then along the way, Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection twice. I, I love the fact that Jesus predicted his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And all of that is followed by the first time There are two times in Luke's gospel, but the first time that Jesus rebuked his disciples for a conversation they had about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Are you kidding me? Luke says, behold, the man, the man, the God-man, who is Jesus Christ. And then we behold his journey to Jerusalem. And Luke is rather unique in the way he compiles uh, what's known in scholarly language as the travel log. Uh, This goes from chapter 9 and verse 51 to chapter 19 and verse 57. It comprises 35% of the gospel. And and, and it's a little bit difficult to read because it appears as though Luke is sort of uh, wandering aimlessly without any sense of organization and plot other than uh, the idea that uh, he says in chapter 9 and verse 51 that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This wouldn't be the only time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, but it would be the last time. And Jude, uh, Luke uh, records the journey from that moment that he said, in effect, now's the time. Now's the time. He set his face to Jerusalem. He, he never um, lost sight of his mission to seek and to save the lost, and the means by which that would happen through his death, burial, and his uh, resurrection. Around this idea of him setting his face to go to Jerusalem, we can try to make some attempt to arrange and organize uh, Luke's thinking in these 10 chapters, because three more times he reminds us as readers that Jesus is on the way, he's on the way. If you think Luke is uh, sort of disorganized, uh, he's building this around, Four times that he says, he set his face to Jerusalem, he's on his way, he's on his way, he's on his way. And every time uh, he says he's on his way, it's around a question that somebody brought to Jesus. Uh, One of the great studies in the gospels are all the questions they brought to Jesus and the answers that he gave. They would bring questions to him, he answered those questions, and then what follows, which seems a little disorganized as a montage of miracles and parables and discipleship teaching and uh, confrontations that he had with religious leaders during this time jesus's ministry grows but so does the opposition to him as he travels closer to jerusalem for the final time for example someone accuses him of casting out demons by beelzebul the prince of demons that's laughable Uh, Why why would he partner up with the devil himself? Jesus responds, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. Also there's a scene where he's dining privately with uh, a Pharisee who invited him and it seems as though the Pharisee had a few of his uh, religious uh, leader friends with them. The conversation grows tense at the dinner table and Jesus delivers a series of divine judgments or woes aimed at religious hypocrites, uh, present company included. And that conversation lands like a thud in the middle of the dining table there. Luke says in chapter 11, verse 53, as Jesus went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. They were plotting his demise uh, Well, at least from chapter 11. Uh, This epic travel narrative contains uh, much more unique material that Luke presents, and much of it illustrating Jesus' compassionate humanity, his ability to connect with real people, even in the way he told stories. So, So this section of Scripture in Luke includes, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Ah, that famous one that everybody knows. It's there in chapter 10. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, or what we might call the prodigal son, is uh, there in chapter 15. The parable of the publican who humbles himself before God and found mercy. You can read that in chapter 18. Luke goes on to include two parables that Jesus told, meant to encourage encourage us to pray without ceasing, One is in chapter 11 and another one is in chapter 18. He also records the real life story, not a parable. And if you know anything about the way parables are constructed, you read this story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16, and you say, now there's something else going on here. We believe it's a real life story that Jesus told of two men, one rich and one poor, both who died and entered the afterlife immediately with full consciousness. One in a place called paradise and another in a place of torment. Fascinating insight into the afterlife that Luke offers here. And these stories and and many others that follow point to Luke's emphasis on the human connections that Jesus made.
0: Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Luke, Behold the Man. And remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry, to ask our ministry team to pray for you, or to order selected resources from our online store. Here's something else for you. When you make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll say thank you by giving you access to a new resource that goes along with his current series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. It's an ebook from Dr. Ron Jones that covers the four gospels and the book of Acts. Request it today for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to PO Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456, Or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message, Luke, Behold the Man.
1: Closer to Jerusalem, Luke presents Jesus' encounter with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Yeah, Zacchaeus, uh, we we get introduced to him in Luke's gospel. And Zacchaeus becomes an unlikely recipient uh, of salvation. Uh, As Jesus is making his way to the holy city to offer his life as an atonement for sin, he is clearly seeking the lost, just like Zacchaeus, for the purpose of saving and rescuing lost sinners. In fact, at the end of that story about Zacchaeus in chapter 19 and verse 10, we, we have this statement from Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he's still doing. He's on a a search and rescue mission, seeking lost sinners like you and me and and inviting us into a personal relationship with him where our sins can be forgiven and we can possess uh, eternal life. That brings us to the final major section of Luke's book and I would just uh, title this, Behold His Travesty and His Triumph. Uh, Luke moves uh, rather quickly through the familiar scenes associated with Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his trial, even his crucifixion. But he offers um, some unique material and some unique insights. For example, during the last uh, meal that he shared with his disciples, that Passover meal on the night before he was crucified, Jesus institutes an ordinance of the church. Uh, We learn this from other gospel writers as well, Uh, the Lord's Supper or communion. But um, Luke gives us some familiar words relating to the bread that they broke together, which memorializes uh, the broken body of our Lord. Luke records Jesus as saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Oftentimes uh, we used to have, you know, uh, chiseled into the uh, communion table in, in a church. Do this in remembrance of me. It comes from Luke's gospel there. When describing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Dr. Luke, the physician, shows up because he gives us a detail about Jesus' agony that only a physician might notice. He says in chapter 22 and verse 44, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Luke the physician notices the real stress that came upon the great physicians, human body. It's a condition known as hematodrosis, And it, it's, it's, it's stress related. When the body is under such stress, the uh, little blood capillaries, uh, the tiny ones underneath your skin break down and they mix in with your sweat and, and it's called you know, sweaty blood. And and this was happening to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke leaves no room for doubting that Jesus suffered real human pain even before they scourged his body and drove nails uh, into his hands and feet on the cross there. He also records three of Jesus' seven cries from the cross. As they drove spikes into his hands and feet, there in uh, chapter 23, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What an amazing thing to say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says to the thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. In paradise. And then again in chapter 23, uh, according to Luke, moments before Jesus exhaled his last breath, he said, Father, into your hands I commit uh, my spirit. And then we come to chapter 24 where Luke's gospel climaxes, where were it not for chapter 24, the answer to the question, who is the greatest man who ever lived? Ah, that's, that's, you know, that's toss up. Get the scientists together and the humanists and the business and political leaders and the religious leaders, and you won't come to a a defining answer to that. But Luke chapter 24, like other gospel writers, at the end of their gospels records the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus could be called a a great humanitarian who cared for the needs of others. Behold just the man. But no, Luke wants us to know, yeah, behold the man. Different than the gods of Greek mythology, he is fully God and fully man at the same time. Make no mistake about that. And he highlights the humanity, but not far away, is his divinity. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, he carefully records, I won't go into all of the details, but it's there in chapter 24. What Luke adds to the story are a couple of post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Eyewitness accounts of people who saw him And we have a further listing of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus raised from the dead in um, other New Testament books. But Luke Luke is the one that records the story of the two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus. They had been in Jerusalem. They had been celebrating the Passover. Uh, Tens of thousands of people had come to Jerusalem. It was a crowded event. Now these two men were walking home to a place uh, called Emmaus. And as they were just talking about the The the, the events that took place. I mean, this this was a Passover like no other Passover. Did you hear about this Jesus whom they crucified and all of that? And as they're having the conversation, a guy walks up next to them. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they have this conversation. And he opens up the gospel or the uh, scriptures to them. And opens up their eyes to who Jesus really is. And just as they realize who it is, Jesus disappears. And they turn to each other and like, This was the guy. Luke tells us they did a 180. They run back to Jerusalem. They they gather with the remaining 11 disciples. Remember, Judas betrayed him. Now there's 11 disciples. They tell the story. And then uh, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus met with his uh, remaining 11 disciples. And uh, and then he he also adds uh, uh, the ascension of Jesus as he ascends back to the Father. This is the way Luke concludes. What an amazing book this is, and we just scratched the surface. But if I could summarize, I would say Luke wants us to know that Jesus is is the perfect God-man. Behold the man, look at him. Fix your gaze on him. Maybe you glanced at him in the past, but now is the time to look at him And look at him again, don't blink, don't turn away, don't be distracted by something else, but look at him until you see him for who he really is. He is man enough, I would say it this way, man enough to feel our pain, to enter into our humanity. Man enough to feel our pain, even the pain brought on by sin and rebellion and living in a fallen world. Man enough to feel our pain, but God enough to do something about it. And that separates him from every other religious leader, from even the gods of mythical Greece. He is the perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% human at the same time. Nobody like him has ever walked planet Earth. And it's the reason we worship him this Christmas and why believers in Jesus Christ have been worshiping him and waiting for his return for 2,000 years. Let me just say it to you this way, as Dr. Luke would,
0: behold the man. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, Luke, Behold the Man, and Dr. Ron Jones joins me here in studio. Ron, one of the primary focuses of Luke is that Jesus was fully God and yet fully human. In fact, Luke emphasizes Christ's humanity. Earlier this week, we talked about the temptation of Christ. So my question for you today is this, in that wilderness experience with Satan, would it have even been possible for Jesus to sin that's a great question brian and i will give you the short answer first Uh, that answer
1: is no it would never have been possible for jesus to sin now if all we meant by the word possible was did jesus have the capacity to discern a temptation and choose it well the answer to that is yes he had a brain and he had a will Uh, if he didn't he would not have been human and as the word of god clearly points out jesus was fully god and fully human not half of each But all of both. But the word possible also means uh, to have the moral ability to sin, that is, having enough badness in you uh, that you might very well choose to sin. But as we know, Jesus was also fully God and therefore had no badness in him at all. Now think about this, Brian. Jesus never even had a sinful thought. Can you imagine that? 33 years on earth and not even one sinful thought no lust, no hatred, no pride, not a single time. Uh, how do we know this? Well, because if he had ever sinned leading up to his earthly ministry and ultimate crucifixion, there would have been no reason to go through with it. Uh, our Savior would have needed a Savior himself had that been the case. It stands to reason, then, if Jesus had never sinned in his heart or his thoughts by age 30, and he didn't, that there was zero chance he would sin in his actions during that wilderness experience. This is what excites me, Brian, so much about who Jesus is. He didn't win our chance at reconciliation with God by the skin of his teeth. He absolutely crushed Satan in that encounter. I believe Satan could have gone on tempting Jesus for 40 years and gotten no closer to success. Uh, That is how perfect, holy, and beautiful our Lord is, and that is why he is due all praise, all
0: glory, and all majesty forever and ever, amen. And I think all of us would like to join you in that amen, Ron. Thanks for those final words on today's message. Luke, behold the man. Ron, let's turn our attention to our next stop on our road trip through the Bible. Tell us where you're headed next as you move ahead in your current series. Well, Brian, as you may expect, our next uh, stop on
1: the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the Gospel of John. Now, for many, many reasons, John had a very special relationship with Jesus. Uh, He was the apostle Jesus loved, the apostle in whom Jesus placed his mother's care. His central purpose for the book is found in chapter 20 and verse 31. These are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, very often we've heard people say, seeing is believing, Uh, The idea that when you prove to me uh, something um, that you say or do, uh, I'll believe it. Uh, The truth is quite the opposite. Believing is seeing. John communicated that exact idea throughout his gospel, that belief precedes sight and not the other way around. So, Brian, I'm looking forward to diving into a few of these ideas next time as I move ahead in my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible.
0: That's Monday in Dr. Ron Jones' message, John, Reasons to Believe. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.